Uh, listen, today we're going to end this series on Jesus and we. I hope this series has stretched you. I hope it's challenged you. Uh, maybe even made you mad a time or two. Uh, I mean, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, today you may have another opportunity. I don't know. Uh, but I'm, today I want to look. There's so many things that we've been looking at in this series. And over the past several weeks as we've looked at it, you know, we started out looking at certain ministries in Harvest Christian Fellowship and ways to be involved and get involved and, and things like that. Uh, and some statements that we have made over ourselves, and we're going to continue to make them, okay? Because this is who we, moving forward, have to be. If we can't take these things and move forward with them, then we're really not doing anybody any good. We're coming here and we're getting, we're getting entertained well, and, and we, you know, but doesn't necessarily mean that we're really growing. So the first statement we made in the first, uh, the first week that I started preaching was this. It says that we are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. We will not insult God with small thinking or safe living. And in that, we begin to talk about faith, and we begin to talk about how Abraham, when he started out, he didn't even know where he was going. God told him, said, you just take off. I will show you where you're going, and you'll know when you get there. And uh, I don't know about y'all, but that is a heck of a way to live. Um, and so we, we talked about building faith, and that's what, moving forward, Harvest, that's what we have to be, is we have to make sure that we're not going to insult God with safe living. Let's just play it safe. Let's just make sure everything's good. Uh, make sure everything's great and, you know, just maintain the status quo. The next thing we looked at was this, was we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. And we looked at the difference between a contributing church and a consumer church. Consumer church, it's all about me. Contributor church, it's all about me and what I can give. And uh, we looked at some several things in there. And then, uh, let's finish that, it says, we, uh, the church does not exist for us. We are the church, and we exist for the world. The church does not exist. This building doesn't exist for you. This building doesn't exist so that you can look around and go, oh, look how pretty. I would do this in my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going on, DC, and move on. And then last week, we hit the hard part. We started talking about money. Jesus and our money. And what we looked at last week was this one. It says, we will lead the way with irrational generosity. We truly believe that it's better to give than receive. Uh, can you do it in two minutes or less? So come up here and I'll tell you. I'm, I'm, that's the challenge. That's the challenge. Uh, on this, we're talking about irrational generosity. I told you, if we become known as this, what God will do with us. This past week, I received a phone call from an attorney that's handling an estate. And they said, we've heard about you guys. And we've, we've got all this stuff that we are dealing with in an estate, and we want to know if we can filter it through you. All right? And I said, let me put you in touch with the lady who takes care of that. How many of you know I can't take care of all that? Grab that microphone real quick. Give that testimony real fast. Well, that's changed. Um, so, yes, they had, uh, they had inherited or they were managing an estate for someone who uh, had passed away. And they had furniture that they needed to give away. So we called them and they said, yeah, we have stuff for you. And then someone came in. We thought we had a match, but it didn't. It, it, it ended up not working out. It was a pregnant woman that was going to get it that was sleeping on the floor. So pray for her. Um, so it's been amazing. Pray that, that God knows exactly who that's supposed to go to because you can't make this stuff up, right? <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. So we have a bedroom suit and a couple couches that turn into beds. So pray. And if you're in need of something and you know, or you know someone who is, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> now, remember what I said during that was what if we gained a reputation of irrational generosity and then that week I get a phone call see I want you to know this is how good you're doing this is how good Harvest Christian Fellowship was doing I get a phone call from an attorney said we've heard about you 
And I can't tell you how many agencies. You had what, 35, 40 appointments this week? between 30 and 35 appointments this week of people being referred so that we can bless them. You're, we're already starting to work this one out. I think we can go bigger. Amen. All right? And it's going to take you individually being generous, and it's going to take us as a body to be irrationally generous. And so I want to go back to the Scripture that started all this. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, he says, Seek and inquire for, require, and request the peace and the welfare of the city to which I have caused you to be carried away captive. This is why we pray for Cambridge. This is why we declare things over Cambridge. Is because of this. That's what the Lord said to do. You may feel trapped in some little tiny town, but God said pray for the place where you think you're, you're captive. See, when you understand what God was telling them there, he, now look, he said in which I have caused you to be carried. That means he put them there for a reason. And what we think may be a prison may be the very place your blessing lies. Sometimes we will just want to complain about it because it's just a prison here. Teenagers do that all the time. I'm stuck here when I turn 18. He said, it caused you to be carried away captive and pray for the Lord, to the Lord for it, for in the welfare, the blessing, the, the, the well-doing of the, of the town, of the city in which you live, you will have welfare. Now imagine if a church would really grasp that idea, that if our town is doing well, then we will do well. We just want everybody to come in here and let's have a nice building and let's make it all look all nice and pretty. But he says, if you really want to find out where the blessing lies, the blessing lies when they're blessed. So our main goal should be to make sure we're blessing them. And when we bless them, what's he say? Then our welfares will be found. And then Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 9. So we built the wall and all of it was joined together up to half of its height. Why? For the people had a heart and a mind to work. This is what it's going to take. It's not Jesus and me. It's not Jesus and the board. It's Jesus and we. All right? It's Jesus and we. It's what we all do together that causes this to work. It can't be one person. It can't be one person doing it all. It just can't be, folks. You can't do that. And I want to make another statement for us today. This is going to be our last statement. To win those no one is winning, we will do things no one is doing. We will reach them with irrational love. <laughs> To, to win those no one is winning, we will do things no one is doing. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Is back in Jeremiah 29, 7, he said, pray for the city. And today I want to talk about how we're going to win a city. And not just our church, any church. I'd love for all the churches in town to join us. Because there's a lot of churches in town that's not full either. And trust me, there's enough people in this immediate town... Not just the surrounding areas, because I know i got people who drive from different places. There's enough people in this town that every church should be full. We should have to build a couple, actually. You know? And, and, and so, what are we going to do to do that things that no one else is doing? Well, Harvest House is one of them, but that's not the only thing. That's just our biggest thing going right now. So, what does it take to win a city? First off, and, and this might shake you up a little bit, is you've got to understand the spiritual atmosphere. Now you think, oh, we're going to go out and we're going to wage some warfare and, and do all this stuff. Not quite. To judge the spiritual atmosphere, we need to understand, which came out all through, all through the worship today, we have to understand how God really sees people. See, the problem is we see people through one set of eyes. It's the eyes we've been trained through, through our 
denominations, through our churches, through our culture, and most of the time for our church culture. And I'm going to challenge you today to let's see people the way God actually sees them. Not the way they're acting. Not the way they're acting, not the way they're doing, but how God sees them. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. And I'm reading out of the disciples' literary New Testament. Liter- not literary. The disciples' literal New Testament. Have you read this one? It's a good one. I just found it. The disciples' literal New Testament. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. So guess what, folks? You do not have to sin. You can go without sinning. You can live a life without sinning. Well, that's just Jesus. John's telling me, said, man, I'm writing these things that you won't sin, that you may not sin. Now look, <laughs> and if anyone sins, if, it surprises you if you do. Come on. Thank you. It should surprise. Well, what did I just do? Well, that's not me. That's not who I am. And if anyone does sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the satisfaction of our sins. Amen? That ought to make you shout. He satisfied the sin issue. And not just ours, but for the... He satisfied the sin issue, not just for us, but for the entire world. He did this. We're going, I'm getting ahead of myself. The sin issue, the one with the, the prostitute that's out here doing her thing, he's already solved her sin issue. The addict that's gotten lost and blinded and can't even find themselves in their own personality anymore. He's already solved their sin issue. The church has become real good at picking out everybody's actions. We've become real good at saying, we forget that scripture, judge not. Unless somebody comes against us and points out our stuff. Because we all have stuff. He is the satisfaction. King James uses a big fancy word, propitiation, which simply means atonement, satisfied. He is the satisfaction of our sin, and not ours, but for the whole world. He has satisfied. Now see, as if, we, if, we don't, if we just look at everybody by their actions, well, that's a, and that's a, and that's a whatever. We will always want to stand off away from that. But imagine if you actually looked at them the way God looks at them, as their sins have already been forgiven, that it's already been wiped out, and they're believing a lie about themselves of who they aren't really. Like we talked about with Eve earlier, Satan convinced her that she was something that she wasn't, or that she was not something she should have been. Folks, y'all know that all the behaviors that people are doing is just them trying to satisfy a part of them that they're not aware of. But imagine if we would evangelize people this way. And when you looked at them, you would say, he's already their savior. Don't, come on, don't don't shut me down yet. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Yeah, but what about all the stuff they're doing? We're not excusing anything. So don't run out here and say, you're just excused. Don't, no. No, we're going to cover that too. Just so you can't, so, I can, so you can say, I didn't say that. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. I didn't, I didn't put that up there, uh, Bobby. Just flash over to that, uh, that statement. Yeah. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says that 
God was in Christ reconciling all those who accepted him. It says God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world. He's already reconciled the world. There's nothing more he needs to do. So why aren't they living it? We're going to cover that in a minute too. But in that scripture in 519, he says that God is not imputing man's sins against him. And we think, well, what does that mean, imputing? I've got a whole series that I'm, I'm really fighting the urge to, to, to preach just out of, that, out of that verse. What does that really mean? That word imputing in 519, and you can write it down, look it up later. It actually means to take an inventory against or to count up. So in 2 Corinthians 5.19, he said that God is not taking an inventory of man's sins and he's not counting their sins against them. So you say, what are you talking about, Brent? I'm talking about winning a city. When we address people from this position that we're not holding their sins against. Well, the thing is, is we're so offended by their sin. Come on. We're so offended by, I can't believe they live that way. Can't believe they'd fall like that. That's just garbage. That's trash. That's just low life. Are you with me? We become so offended. Folks, let me tell you something. You're more offended at people's sin than God is. He's not counting their sins against them. He's not imputing. He's not keeping inventory. He's not counting it up. That somehow is the job we fell into, like God has somehow dropped the bomb. I'm talking about winning a city here. So imagine if we started out that way, just looking at people that way. We would treat them different. We wouldn't beat them down. We wouldn't... Okay. Second Corinthians chapter 4. This kind of stuff gets pastors in trouble, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 from the Passion, he says, Even if our gospel message is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now, here's the kicker. This is the evangelism of, of, of the true church. When they understand, verse 4, For their minds have been blinded by the God of this age, leaving them in unbelief. God has already forgiven sin. He's already taken care of the sin issue. But So what it is, is the enemy does the same thing he did to Eve. He goes in and blinds their minds to the reality of who they are, and he leaves them in a place of unbelief. And so many times, it should really hurt us to know that they have as much opportunity as we have, but the enemy continues to blind their eyes, and so they're trying to fill their lives with all these other things to find that one thing that can only make them satisfied. And it's realizing what God has already done. And so they loathe from place to place and thing to thing to satisfy. Rather than being so offended at sin, it should break our heart that they're just not realizing who they really are and what is actually available to them. But we want to spend more time being mad. We want to spend more time with picket signs and bullhorns. Come on. We're more mad than we are sad. When did it come that the things that break God's heart should be the things that breaks our heart? I thought that's where you was going to go there a minute ago. That we love the people that he loves. Well, okay, that's great. And it sounds good in Dee's prayer. But I remember a verse that said, God so loved the world. Folks, he didn't love the planet. He loved the people in it. We make up the world just like we make up the church. All right? It is blinded for, the, for their minds have been blinded by the God of this age, leaving them in unbelief. Their blindness keeps them from seeing the day spring light of the wonderful news of the glory of Jesus Christ 
who is the divine image of God. He is the image of God. He is God. But see, what happens is the enemy comes in and he blinds their mind to the reality of the finished work of the cross. And so they're continuing to live a life. And so I'm, I'm just going to drop this stuff on you today and we're going to get out. All right? Because this is a new way of evangelizing. This is a new way of winning a city. What if we viewed them as handicapped by the enemy to knowing their true identity? And we're not mad anymore. And we're not frustrated anymore. And we're not picketing anymore. And we're not yelling at cars as they go by, you're going to hell! Never understood that while they stand on the street corner screaming at moving cars. <laughs> and then walk out feeling they've been justified because I evangelized today. You didn't evangelize. <laughs> somebody sent me a, a video of somebody from our hometown. He walks into Walmart screaming. You're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. You're nothing, you're worthless, just awful. And he walks in, makes a circle, walks out. And walked out and said, boys, that's how you evangelize. <laughs> Another guy doing the same thing. The police come to him and said, you're not in a public space. You're going to have to move. So he thought he was righteous in standing up to the police officer, fighting the cop, being arrested, and then goes and puts it on Facebook how he was persecuted for the gospel. Say, no, you wasn't just breaking the law. Well, when this gets back to West Virginia, I'm not going back. <laughs> but this is what we have turned evangelism into. Mean. Hateful. Say what? Oh, I mean pointed at me. So I want to show you the right example of evangelism. You know there's a right example. The Apostle Paul didn't win souls to Christ. He won cities. Everywhere he went, it says that city believed. When are we going to quit looking at it as a chance to win a soul and look at it as a chance to win a city? Now, you'll have to do this one person at a time. And to do this, it takes relationship. See, that's what Screamer through Walmart didn't understand. There's no relationship there. You can't speak into somebody's life without relationship. And you can never build relationship outside of love. That's why God said, I am love. Because he wants relationship with you. He doesn't want religion with you. So Paul wants cities and so he wasn't just going after a thing, and we can't just go after a Folks, we can't win a city by claiming it. Okay, spiritual thing going flying up everywhere. <laughs> Put on the brakes, I'm going to be mad to come back just then. I saw him. We can't go out here and... I'm claiming this city in the name of Jesus, but I ain't going to touch nobody. I ain't going to talk to nobody. I ain't going to love nobody. I ain't going to hug nobody. They're going to come to Jesus or they're going straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. No, this thing is you can't have winning a city without relationship. Oh. A city is people. For you, for us to go out here and declare this city and never touch its people is worthless. Okay, so what are you going to do when God gives you the courthouse? I don't want the courthouse. I want everybody in it. I'd rather have them than a bunch of stone. And we got the prettiest courthouse around. <laughs> We, 
we already said, talked about John 3.16. He loved the world, not the planet. Now, I'm going to look at some scriptures, and we're going to get out of here. Because I really want us to look at winning this city in a completely different light. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. B already started us in this, so we're going to pick it up. Verse 19. I said second. 1 Corinthians, sorry. Chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Now listen, this is, this is how we do it. We're going to follow Paul's example. How many of you can say, we're going to do okay following Paul's example? Now even though... I am free from obligation of others. I don't answer to nobody. I joyfully make myself a servant to all. That word servant means to give oneself wholly to the needs and service of another. See, if we want to follow Paul's example, then we're not just going to stand up here and yell as they go by the street. We're going to make ourselves a servant. We're going to give ourselves wholly. Well, whatever it takes to the needs and the service of others. You want to win a city, you're going to have to become a servant. If we want to win a city, we're going to have to become a servant. One city at a time, folks. He said, I joyfully make myself a servant to all in order to win as many converts as possible. And we've taken that and we've twisted it up. We got to win as many as possible. Paul said that I may save some. First off, before Paul ever won a city, he became a servant to those in it. See, we get that word win and we think it's a contest. Well, I want five. How many did you win? Well, I won six. How many did you win? I'm looking for a church that's going to stand up and say, we want a city. That Cambridge is a complete glory bucket because we decided to love the guts out of it. We decided to be a servant like nobody else. We decided to give ourselves wholly to the service and the needs and once we get Cambridge done, we'll move to the next city. And then we'll move to the next city. Why? Because we'll just start planting churches with this mindset to love. And so <laughs> this word servant he's talking about there, it's not, a, it's not solitude. It's not servitude. It's not forced. I can't force you to love people. That's on you. But what if evangelism looked more like that rather than standing on the corner? What if we come in and our first goal is how can we give ourselves to the needs and the service of others? What if we came in and said, I need to find common ground with them to know how I can bless them? You can't find common ground with them if you're not willing to touch them. You're not willing to talk to them. We have got this idea that evangelism means we're going to cram Jesus down your throat whether you like it or not. You're going to taste the dirt on the end of his sandals because we have shoved him so far down your throat. When, when did it become that evangelism says, I want to make myself a servant to you. And then as we decide, that, oh man, there's a relationship here now. Now, they say, well, why are you like the way you are? Well, let me tell you why I'm like the way I am. My wife had a conversation with somebody this week that's not hearing this stuff. And now it's become their big desire. They just want to be here. <laughs> Folks, you don't understand. When, when is our reputation going to be the way Paul did it? Paul said, I want to evangelize like Paul. Okay, here we go. We're going to evangelize like Paul. You're going to give yourself wholly to the need of others that I may win. It's not a competition. That word win, did I put, did give the definition of win? Did I put the definition of win on there, Bobby? If not, just go to that title. Yeah, there we go. Here's what that word win actually means. It's not a competition. It means to save, to keep safe and sound. To rescue from danger and destruction. 
to make well, to heal. He said, wait a minute, this sounds like sozo. In this particular scripture, that word is actually akin to sozo more than it is to a competition. Paul said, I am going to sozo these people. That I may sozo. So what am I going to do? I'm going to save them. I'm going to keep them safe. I'm going to keep them sound. We're going to rescue them from danger and destruction. We're going to make them well. We're going to heal them. We're going to restore them back to health. We're going to preserve them if they're in danger. We're going to save them. We're going to rescue. We're going to deliver them from the penalties of messianic judgment. That's what sozo means. We're going to deliver them from the evils which obstruct the reception of deliverance. What does that mean? Whom the God of this world has blinded their minds. So our job in real evangelism is to show them who they actually are and then help remove the things that block their vision of their real self so that they can now walk in what God has already provided. See, to win the city, we got to become a servant. To win the city, we're going to have to be driven to meet the needs of the city, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual. And in that, they, walk in the re- they begin to see the reality of God's love. Are you okay? I, know, I, hope th- I hope this is a different version of evangelism. This is Paul's way. This is what Paul did. Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 20. I became Jewish to the Jewish people in order that I may win, health, restore, deliver, set them. It's not a competition. That I may win them to the Messiah. I became like one under the law to gain people who were stuck under the law, even though I myself am not under the law. And to those who were without Jewish laws, I became like them, as one without Jewish laws, in order to win them. Although I am not outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Just so you know, let me just go ahead and throw that out there. What he's clarifying is he didn't get mixed up in what they were doing. He didn't fall into their sin traps to try to win them. He, came, he went, okay, I'll, I'll cover it in a minute, but he went where, the, where they were in the middle of their sin traps all the while knowing he's under the law of Christ. That he may show them that they actually are under the law of Christ. So let's go on. <clears throat> Verse 22, I became weak to the weak to win the weak. Now here's the key. Here is Paul's way of evangelizing. Harvest. I have adapted to the culture of every place I have gone so that I could more easily win the people to Christ. He adapted to the culture. Now, again, he already told us he didn't adapt to their sin. So are we good there? So I'm not telling you to go out there and, you know, do stuff that's going to destroy your own life and actually blind you to who you actually are. That's all sin does. It's when we believe something about ourselves that's not true. And then we fill it with our behaviors. Sin is not the behavior, folks. The behavior is a result of a false belief system. Going on, long teaching. Now look what he says in verse 23. I have done all of this so that I would become God's partner. Well, we're going to do some big, giant evangelistic crusade. Well, how does God say to do it? Well, he says we're going to go out here and we're going to get our bullhorn and we're going to, we're going to treat them like we know it all. Let me tell you something. Paul did not try to be a know-it-all, self-righteous, fault-finding, hypercritical or hypocritical, or hypo, hypocritical, I should say, Sign-toting, bullhorn-screeching, traffic-stopper. That's not what Paul did. Paul said, I'm going to get to know you where you're at. I'm going to adapt to where you're at. And then I'm going to show you the reality of salvation. The joy of salvation. The hope of salvation. I'm going to show you that God already loves you. You don't have to do anything to earn his love. 
But all these other things that you're trying to satisfy your life with, all of a sudden you'll find they melt away. Because when they know the reality of God's love for them, he would just adjust to the culture around them. He may not have fit into that culture, but he had adjust to it. Like he's already said, verse 21, he said, I didn't fall under, I remained under the law of Christ. But his, why was the goal of this? To become God's partner for the complete restoration of the city. We have to become God's partner for the complete restoration of, now again, Harvest, when I say city, I'm talking about peoples, not buildings and roads and pizza huts and all that stuff. We are God's partner for the complete restoration. So I wonder if Paul did things opposite of this, if he could then stand and say, I'm God's partner. The church, we become, let me tell you something, folks. The church, we've become experts in the opposite. I am not changing, and there's nothing you can do to make me change. We'll sing the same old songs. We'll decorate the same old way. We'll teach the same old thing. We'll use the same Christianese language we've always used. And if they don't understand it, that's their problem. They'll just have to figure it out. Get on the train or go to hell. We don't care. It's your choice. Just do what you got to do because this is who we are. We're not changing. Now, is that adapting to a culture? But that's what the church has done. Get on the train or go to hell. Because we're not going to change. Paul didn't do that. He won cities. Why? By adapting to the culture he was in. So if we really want to meet our cities, we're going to have to become a servant to them. If we really want to meet our city, we're going to adapt to them. We're going to meet people where they're at. We're going to do it like Paul did. We're going to accept everybody, regardless of where they're at, regardless of their issues. That means if people start walking in the door that don't match up to what you believe, I believe, or we believe, that's okay. That's okay. Because we're going to love them. And in that love, we're going to change that behavior. Because the behavior is just a result of the issue of their heart. Because their minds have been blinded by the God of this world. Now imagine if we looked at everybody as they're blind. How, much, how, how would we feel about towards somebody that way? They're just blind. God help them. They're just blind. I need to talk to them. God, they're blind. I need to help them. I need to help this blind person across the street because if they keep on the path they're going right now, they're going to get hit by the thing, and it's going to kill them, Lord. And I don't want to see a blind person killed, Lord. I want to help a blind person. Put me in their way. See, that's what it is. Their eyes have been blinded. They have been made blind, and they're being left in unbelief. It's not how God sees them. God sees them as he has done this. Hebrews says that he offered himself a sacrifice how often? Once. It goes on to say something else there. And for all. Once and for all. He don't have to be sacrificed over again. He said, I'll take man's punishment. Man's punishment, not God's punishment. I'll go on from there. He accepted, Paul accepted everybody with their issues. Now, what screams to me, and maybe you're sitting back there and I'm hearing it from you, or maybe I'm hearing it, somebody watching me on Facebook and getting mad. Love the sin. Hate the sinner. Love the sinner. Hate the sin. I said that completely bad. Well, that's kind of what the church does anyhow, so. <laughs> Love the sinner. Hate the sin. Well, I'm going to be Christ-like. Well, Christ says that God is love. Folks, this has nothing to do with excusing people's behaviors. This is how we treat people. This is winning a city. See, the problem with that mentality of love the sin or hate the sin is the church is complete, gets completely blinded by its own insecurity about its own self, and we just start hating everything. 
Well, we'll love them, you know, when they straighten up. It's sad that the church of the God who says that I am love has become more known for what they hate. I'm not talking about, see, I feel like I have to keep saying that because I know I've, I've had it leave here and been said. Excusing everything, nope. Our goal is to get them to a place where they have nothing to be excused for. That's the whole goal of grace. It's to realize, <laughs> love the sinner, hate the sin. How about we just take hate out of our vocabulary? We just say, love the sinner. God did. For God so loved the world that he gave. He, well, that's just too much. He emptied heaven of part of the Trinity because he loved you so much. He loved them so much. Why can't we just be the same? Why don't we just love? <laughs> and again, we're not excusing anything. What we're excusing is they've been blinded. They don't realize what God's already done in them. And somebody's got to take the veil off. We started out with that scripture. He said, if our message has been veiled, it's only veiled to those who are dying. And why are they dying? Because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. They can't see who they really are. And we can never lead people out of the things that are destroying their lives as long as they think and we think it's us versus them. They can never be trophies. See, the, are y'all okay? I, I'm, this is my heart. The church for too long, we've crowded around people like trophies. We write little things into headquarters about how many people we won. They're not trophies. They're part of the body of Christ that don't even realize they're part of the body because the enemy has blinded them. And some of them are going to leave this world without ever realizing who they were in the first place. But we're more worried about numbers. How many did we, can we tick off the box? This is evangelism on a whole different level, folks. <laughs> but this is how Paul won cities. You're just excusing everybody. No, I'm not. I think I've said that, what, six or eight times now? That should suffice, right, sir? <laughs> we have to be sensitive to culture. And folks, let me tell you something. Culture changes. How many in your house... Your house right now looks exactly the way it did 25 years ago. You've made some changes, new furniture, maybe a new picture, new drapes. Well, why in the world would the church not do the same? Well, yeah, but styles change. That's right. They change everywhere, even in here. <laughs> Even in here, and in this room, and in these halls. Why? Because we don't, the church doesn't exist for us. We're the church. We exist for the world. And they need somebody to tell them, you're just blind. Not with a bullhorn. Not with a shout. Not with a sign. But by sitting down beside of them. I, I, lo I love sitting down with people. I love sitting down with people that are drunker than monkeys. Because the first thing they do, they start apologizing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know what my first words to them is? Don't apologize. Well, I'll quit. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> you do not? Yes, I do. You know how many people has changed their lives? Because I had the opportunity to just speak into who they were to start tearing the veil off of those eyes and all of a sudden they say I don't have to live this way anymore this is keeping me from who I really am <laughs> I'm I hope it challenges you I hope it makes you a little mad 
but we're going to partner with God. Now, a, uh, can you bring up that statement, Bobby, please? To win those, to win those, read that out loud, please, folks. To win those no one is winning will do things no one is doing. Jesus went home one day, and he's in his own house. Everybody in his town found out he was home, and so they just stormed his house. They're out in his yard. They're on his lawn. They're on his porch swing. They're drinking his tea, and he's standing there, and he's teaching them. You couldn't get, you couldn't squeeze in there. Well, off in the distance, there was four guys who got tired of seeing their friend living in the way that he wasn't created. So they decided to do something about it. They didn't look at him and say, get up, man. Get your legs to working. This ain't how you were created. You're, no, get up, dude. No, they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do something nobody else is doing. Grab his bed, boys. And they each grabbed a corner of his bed and they chuck it down the street because they're going to go to Jesus' house. Can't get in the door. So they said, we know where we can get in. I'm convinced these were teenagers. <laughs> Nobody would think to rip a hole in a man's roof. Because we think inside little boxes. That's not what you do. But man, you get into a young generation that the world is open to them. They said, there is no way we can't do this. We can do this. All we have to do, go around back. How did they get him on the roof? Tie a rope around him, boy. Can you imagine what he's thinking? He can't do nothing. All he's getting is irrational love that says, we're not going to leave you the way we found you. And if we have to tie a rope around you and hoist you up somebody's house. <laughs> to win those no one is winning, we're going to do things no one is doing. You imagine Jesus standing there teaching all of a sudden these little dust particles. I get distracted easy, Ted, when I preach. I catch stuff like that. And can you imagine the first little ray of light? I bet it hit Jesus right between the eyes. What the heck? <laughs> See, the thing about the roofs, and you need to know this about the roofs. Roofs then were made of thatch. You know what thatch is, right? They just take the... And it was held by thatch and mud. But do you know what they would put in the mud and put over top of all that to harden it real good? Manure. See, if we're really going to help people, we're going to touch things that no one else is willing to touch. You may have to go through something that's a little dirty. You may have to go through something that's a little smelly. You may have to go through something you think, there's no way I'm touching that. But see, your love for people has to be greater than what you're worried about getting your little hands dirty. You may have to go through some stuff to get people because you're not satisfied with them living below the way they were created. And it may be dirty, and it may be stinky, and it may be different. And they drop this guy down in front of Jesus. You know what the Word says? Jesus didn't even address the man. The Word says that he looked up and saw their faith. What was their faith? We believe you have the answer to, keep the, to have him live the way he We did everything we could do. We have done things no one else is doing. We ran in his house. We snatched him up. We tied a rope around him. We hoisted him up to the top of your roof. We ripped your roof open. We'll fix it later. But we ripped your roof open and we dropped him down. And Jesus said, there's the people that want to change. Let God look at harvest and say, there's a people who wants a change. And they don't care to get dirty. They don't care to go through the stuff. They don't care to go through the muck. They'll do what it takes to get people to the place where God can say, this is how you were really created. And Jesus looked at him and said, well, your sins are forgiven. Well, who are you to forgive sin? Well, just so you know that I have the power to forgive sins, go ahead, pick up your bed and go back home with your friends because they did something no one else was doing. This is what evangelism looks like.
Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. <clears throat> and seek and inquire for, require and request the peace and the welfare of the city in which I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in the welfare of the city in which you live, you will have welfare. And to win those who no one is winning, we will do things no one is doing. And we will reach them. How many of you know it was irrational for them to rip a hole in somebody else's roof? But their love for him was greater. And to win them, to totally see them restored, we will do it with irrational love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. After I pray, you're blessed whether you like it or not. You may as well enjoy it. But if the prayer team will come up, whoever's on today, if you need prayer for anything today, I don't care if you're, if you're sick. Maybe you're saying, man, I don't live out this life with God. I've still got some blinders on. I don't, there's some things about my life I have yet to believe. I'm telling you, these folks that's coming, where are they at? <laughs> these men and women are excited to pray for you. And I'm going to encourage you to use them. Use them. You want somebody to agree with you and what's going on in your life? Here they are. Here they are. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had here today. We thank you for the chance to give. We thank you for the chance to sow. We thank you that we are going to touch people with irrational love. We're going to do things nobody else is doing because you, they are worth it. And so, Father, if it takes us getting dirty, takes us getting a little filthy and going through some muck and some mire, then that's what we'll do because they're just blind folks, Lord, and they need their eyes opened. So use us, Lord. Like Jeremiah said, here am I. Send me. In Jesus' name, amen.